0: True evil knows what you think and it will insinuate itself in a way so that you will think that it is good and that what you'll think what you're doing is good.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I've got Corey in the studio with me today and we're going to just talk about some stuff we've been thinking about recently. I was having a conversation with someone and I watched a video, um, I won't give the details of the video, but in the video the guy talking was using certain words in certain ways. And I found myself just getting annoyed with the fact that he was just using these words in certain ways. So I was thinking about that. It reminded me of something that Jordan Peterson had said several times back when he was in the limelight, and that had to do with just the use of language, and oftentimes when encountering protesters or um, people in the humanities departments of various universities, and he said something along the lines of, well, first of all, that these people all sound the same, and that they're not using their own words, that they're using a certain language, and it's almost just like ideological programming. They open their mouths and someone else's words come out of them. And I find that the, as the last few years have progressed, my tolerance for it gets <laughs> lower and lower. <laughs> or maybe not my tolerance, but just my, um, my receptivity or sensitivity to, or, to it. It becomes more and more obvious whenever I see it. So that's what I've been thinking about for the past few days, and just kind of going in and out of why it happens, what it is, and what I should think about it. So one of the things about that, is I was thinking about language in general, because should it really be, should it really bother me on any level, you know, that people use certain words or that or sound like other people? Because at the root of it, we all, when we're communicating, we all use the same language. We all use, all use the same words. So on a certain level, we we are all conforming to each other at a certain level of communication using words we all agree on in order to to communicate meanings towards each other and to be understood, at least ideally. So then there's specialized language. So if you look in any kind of science, any kind of specialized department of science, the people involved in that kind of research and thinking develop their own jargon and they can speak to each other using languages to which they all conform there are certain um like semantic rules essentially that they conform to in order to communicate with each other and it's the same thing in religions so if you're part of a religious community um a major religion or a minor religion the people that you that are in your community will gravitate towards a certain use of language you have your your certain words that you, that you use that an outsider from that's not within your religion might not understand, but you all have more or less a, at least a vague idea of what, that, what those things mean, and you can kind of use them to converse with each, with each other. So I've been looking, looking at these different examples of the language that gets used and trying to figure out what makes them different, and why, why in particular does the one stick out for me, and the first thing that came to mind is that for the most part language is instrumental in nature like each word kind of has a purpose and it's it's uh there's not a whole lot of baggage attached to most words of course there's emotional baggage attached to insults and though and uh curses you know swear words people have a a reaction in certain contexts to certain words like that and but even those serve a purpose you know the purpose of An insult is to insult someone to elicit an emotional response from them, a negative emotional response, ideally. Like them's fighting words, essentially. And the purpose of, what was the other example I gave? Insults and swear words. Yeah, swear words. There's a specific context where you use a swear word to get across a heightened emotion in a certain event. For instance, if you stub your toe or whatever, there's there's a certain context for a certain type of word that you use. But when you get into the... Oh, well, I'll go through some more. So, And, of course, I kind of alluded to it already. In in a scientific environment, you have certain concepts and certain ideas that most people are not even aware of, so you need a certain language to describe those. Otherwise, you're stuck looking for words that don't exist in the common common parlance that it, it becomes very difficult to... Achieve any kind of meaningful communication if you don't have an agreed-upon word for what you're describing. And theoretically, if everyone were to become conversant in that scientific discipline, they would acquire the vocabulary, and it would be a shared vocabulary, just like normal language. The only reason it's limited to a scientific sphere in a particular discipline is because there are very few people that actually get into that discipline. That's why when you're listening to a, a geologist or a you know a quantum physicist or a microbiologist, they'll be throwing around words and abbreviations that sound like Greek to anyone who's not um, initiated into the ranks of this scientific discipline. So, the words are very instrumental in that. In, in all of those disciplines, in all of those contexts, they they have a, a specific purpose, and the the, perp- the the words themselves are kind of secondary to the just the meanings behind them and the goal of communication, the goal of the words and of speaking, which is to communicate, to get one's meaning across to another and to have it go back and forth. With ideological movements and ideologies in general, like political, social, ideological movements and ideologies, there's something else that gets added on top of that. And that is, it's like there's a not-so-hidden moral imperative and suggestion and a moral content that gets injected into certain words. So a word that used to be relatively benign, um, used in different contexts for different purposes, acquiring a certain emotional content in some contexts but not others, these words have this heightened charge of emotion and... Pseudo morality—I'll call it pseudo for now—that is imbued into the word, to the point where, for instance, if uh, in the modern debate a word like privilege, for instance, becomes charged to a degree that when you have a conversation about the word privilege, there is a certain way you have to react to that word, and there is a certain a certain meaning you have to attach to that to that word, even if. The, you do not, let's say, agree with the context in which it's being used or the purpose for which it's being used. You might agree semantically with some of the definitions of a particular word, and that one in in particular, but there is a whole like a moral imperative attached to the that that comes as baggage to the word. So, if someone challenges you about your privilege of one degree or another, then there's no. There's no way to respond to that. It's either you have to accept it or you are totally rejected on ideological grounds as immoral. That's basically what it comes down to. You're rejected as a bad person for not responding positively to that use of a particular word, even if even if you might totally agree with what with what the person's saying and just out of pure contrarianism just disagree with with them for using the word and for for being like a conformist themselves for just using that word when everybody else is using it. It doesn't matter. Your motivations don't matter. What's inside you doesn't matter. It's strictly a matter of, um, it's almost a matter, matter of social status where in order, in a different context, in order to be part of a certain social group or social class, there are certain things that come along with that. You have to speak in a certain way, look a certain way use certain words and if you don't then you'll be rejected as not you know, as an outsider as someone who doesn't belong and this is what this is one thing that Lobachevsky describes in political ponderology, is this is one of these phenomena of that take place in a period of ponderogenesis, where there is this social contagion and process brewing in the in the in the world in a society that goes in certain directions that most people involved can't predict and can't do anything about it's you kind of get steamrolled by this like rhinoceros that's charging at you from out of nowhere and what what can you do there's the there are social forces at work that not only are we blind to, but which are so powerful that even if we see them, we're seemingly incapable of doing anything about them. And one of the things he talks about is this, that the, a word he uses repeatedly, so I'm going to borrow his word, um, paramoralism. So what he means by that is what I was trying to get across with that idea of a this content that gets embedded within a, a, a particular word, not just a particular word, a particular way of speaking, a whole network of words and ideas to which you must conform in order not to be destroyed in one way or another. And this repeats itself throughout history in different contexts. And he, of course, was talking in the context of Bolshevism and uh, communism in general in the 20th century. So that's one of the reasons I think that, that's one of the reasons that this bothers me is that these first of all, these words have debatable meanings when they get appropriated for use by someone who is um, taken in by this ideological framework. the The meanings that they ascribe to certain words are debatable. And what I mean by that, that's my polite way of saying that they're most likely wrong, that the that they have a strange, not very accurate way of defining certain words. But because those words are then those words and definitions are then accepted, it creates again this um this kind of castle around this word that must be defended at all costs, and you must accept it the way it is the way I say it is, or again I will destroy you in one way or another right now for the most part that destruction is pretty much limited to um, being Excluded from the forum of acceptable debate and communication, like on social media, to losing your job, um, losing your friends. If you even again just for contrarian reasons say I don't agree with this, you will probably lose at least a significant uh, significant percentage of your existing friend base at that time, whether your Twitter fr- or Facebook friend base or actual friends who you've known for years and who you've gone, gotten along with until that moment when you, strictly out of just wanting to buck the trends, <laughs> disagree with them. Now, it's even worse if you actually disagree with them because then, um, well, to them maybe there's, to the rejector, it's probably not as big a difference, but um on a more kind of soul level it's it's a bigger betrayal of the ideology if you actually disagree with the definitions they use the concepts they use and the way and the reasons that they use them now this brings me to one more point for a reason to a, a reason why it kind of irks me to see people using the same language. And that is simply that there are certain types of conformity. Well, I'd say that all, all types of conformity irk me. I can understand, I can understand most of them. Some don't bother me very much and others, um, others do bother me, you know, others kind of get under my skin a little bit and I try not to let them bother me too much, but it's kind of like when you get older and you look at the the teenagers of um like that are let's say 10 20 years younger than you and you see all the new words they that they're using you can, you once you see that happen you can look back at your own childhood and your own teenagehood and realize oh wow you know i was that dumb at their age too i was kind of blindly just adopting the the specific dumb words that my peers were using just to look cool just to fit in But when you look at it, it's really they just sound like idiots. Like teenagers today sound like idiots, just like we sounded like total idiots when we were teenagers. And one of the reasons is that teenagers are, despite their um, rebelliousness, they are some of the most conformist, like little twerps imaginable. They just they just want to be like everyone else, even if everyone else is just their small group of friends, whether it's the goths or the preps or the nerds or whatever. There's a group that they want to be like that they want to conform with of course it's like that for everyone so when you see how it happens in teenagers and in yourself as a teenager you can kind of expand that to to nowadays and if you look at your yourself and people around you you see the same things happening it's like any fad any kind of the the new thing that comes along well the language that's being used is a fad just like the language the dumb language that teenagers use and the you know the 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 catchy phrases that they use, they all, there might be a certain just inflection to their voice or a, a particular set of words that just goes around and everyone starts using them. And they just, like I said, they just sound like idiots to an adult. Teenagers just sound like the dumbest, um, you know, people on the planet to teenagers. They don't, but then once those teenagers get older, they may see it for themselves. So there's just the, the, the conformity of it, basically just using words in order to be part of an in-group. And there's not even any conscious thought that goes along with it. It just, it's just a normal facet of human behavior. So people start using new, new words and you just find yourself using them. So every once in a while, I find myself using a, a faddish word and it makes me feel like, um, what's the word? Well, in, more than that not just unoriginal but it, it makes me feel like sick on the inside like uh almost like i've committed a sin because it it makes me feel dirty that's the word you know dirty on the inside for using someone else's word inauthentic inauthentic feeling, yeah right mm-hmm. D- well did you have anything to add to that
0: Corey? <laughs> to you what you want, were you saying to, about feeling dirty yes just jump in yeah harrison this is an intervention <laughs> we've been <laughs> wanting to talk to you about about this um no, I. I mean, as you're, you're talking, you're making you you bring up a, a number of really excellent points, and um, I'm I'm still thinking about uh, how you you introduced this whole topic and the idea of like precise language and scientific language and using language in an instrumental way um, for a certain purpose. And you know, I and then I think about how you know there we all know some individuals who have some sort of specialized knowledge, and who are able to, um, you know, use that vocabulary that they've gained Mm -hmm. um, in order to sound smart. And they're talking to you about something. um, And you have no idea what the heck they're talking about. And they're obviously not trying to communicate with you anything. They're just talking to you. Um, in order to make themselves feel smarter than you Mm -hmm. and, you know, to leave you feeling confused and, and to leave themselves feeling like they're, you know, the genius that, that they always knew that they were Um, because they're not, they're not, they're not really considering you as a, as Mm -hmm. a person or they're not considering the interaction as something in which they could gain something by by actually communicating with Mm you. Um, You know, whether that's conscious or not is really beside the point. But You know, I'm thinking of that, and I'm thinking of this kind of feeding dynamic that that is there, maybe unconscious, maybe it's subconscious, but there is a a unilateral, you know, to borrow a phrase, to borrow a word from geopolitics, this unilateral, one-sided attempt to um, establish some sort of a dominance, Mm -hmm. or to show you, see, I am, you know, I'm the dominant one. And when you're talking about words like privilege or supremacy or any number of these emotionally charged words, racism, what I hear sexism, racism, sexism, yes, um, misogyny, misogyny, that's, that's all great. What I'm, what I'm hearing is, is, um, this dominance, this attempt to establish dominance and this attempt to like, basically if you accept their version, then you accept their dominance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's what you've done you you've accepted their um the ideology mm-hmm. it's it's not you know a word it's not an intellectual exercise it's not an attempt to communicate or to understand or to use language in a way that will benefit multiple parties it's a one-sided attempt to um elevate the ideology and to spread the ideology by forcing others to submit it's just pure mm-hmm. you know propagation propaganda at it you know at its foundational level and a lot of people um buy into it because as you were pointing out towards the end of your you know as you were talking about feeling inauthentic or and dirty is that um you know people have reason a moral reason that they want to accept this language because they don't want they they accept it they accept the premise that um what this ideology says is true and so then they don't want to be a bad person Mm -hmm that's they don't want to feel like a bad person you know that that's fundamentally deep down they want to be right mm-hmm. and oh my god you watch go through social media scroll through facebook scroll through twitter and you'll see any number of like you were saying teenagers and you know a lot of them are teenagers a lot of them are kids going through college you know a lot of people who who haven't um uh who just don't either have the interest or the capacity, I guess, or the tools necessary to um, to define words and to research subjects and to understand um, for themselves, to really understand for themselves what these words mean and, you know, try and weigh them out in different contexts. You know, privilege here, you know, if I believe that this is privilege, then what's privilege look like in that context? And, you know, um, just use critical thinking to come to a, a definition that fits for them mm-hmm. uh, because no, the, the definition is already provided. And it like you said, it's a moral definition mm-hmm. and it's fundamentally it's it sneaks in subconsciously and it insinuates that anyone that doesn't believe in this definition is evil or is the racist or is a white supremacist. And like you said, if you even doubt it for one second, then you are evil, incarnate, um, and you forfeit your, your right to, to live. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, what these individuals don't really seem to grasp is that, like you said, it is a fad. Mm-hmm. It's a fad. Lies come and go, they fade. It, it, the truth will always come out. And I think that there are a lot of people out there who are intelligent enough that they can copy and paste a word into Google. <laughs> Do it. Just like, I'm sure our audience doesn't need to be told that because if they're watching this, they've, you know, they are obviously interested in obscure philosophical <laughs> discussions, but it is, is it not shocking that so many people can't, um, look up, a, a, a name on Google and research, the, the events surrounding whatever this, uh, ideologue, uh, ideologue is telling you actually happened or, um, look up you know look up multiple perspectives on white privilege what it means and not just from you know the the New York Post or Huff Post or you know any any one of their cherished um little rags that that will tell you what you you know what the ideologue has already told you and and like you said it's that that is one of the most irritating things of the whole this whole um this whole era everything that happened then is still happening today. There is, it's just as bad today as it was under Jim Crow, as it was when there was slaves, as it was when there were slaves on this continent. It's unfortunate that there are so many people out there who will accept this ideological conclusion without even a simple Google search, because the information is out there in abundance you it doesn't take a lot of effort or a lot of time all it takes is being willing to question the ideology that's all it really takes and once you do that then you start to oh wow you know you shine a little bit of light into the room oh i've seen more color oh i'm seeing a little bit more this there's a little bit more nuance and now i can figure out for myself um what the right course of action to take is concerning this um whatever crisis it is whatever it's this or that or you know i'm sure it'll all be over on november 4th once the elections are all done but un you know unfortunately like you said harrison it is it is a fad and it was one that um that a lot of people just they want to feel good about themselves so they will Unite into a mob and attack anybody that disagrees with what they say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and then un, and the biggest problem is that it, it just is a slap in the face to the real history of the real individuals, martyrs, I would say, that have worked that worked tirelessly to improve relations in the U.S. So that today we could even be having this kind of conversation that people could come out and they could denounce all whites as racist, all whites as, you know, needing to die and then get promotions. You know, you, you we're, we're living in an environment that is, we've never been freer in the history of the world to voice our opinions or to to be anything that we want to be. And that there's there's so much more to reality than discrimination or police brutality and yet these ideologues have put this virus into everyone's head so that everyone thinks that they're oppressed.
2: Well, there's something that I wanted to jump in and say that kind of ties in both of, uh, or what both of you were kind of saying, um, which like Harrison, you're talking about the abuse of language or the use of language in this, uh, very conformist way. And i I was thinking yesterday specifically after, um, looking at a particular article where um, somebody spouted, you know, institutional racism. And I mean, my first thought was similar to what you were talking about was, you know, to try and define the word. And then I realized that, well, the word, if you actually look at it and examine it as just a word or, you know, two words has multiple meanings, which, you know, made me think of um, David Ray Griffin's book um, where he, I can't remember which one it was, but he was talking about natural selection and he went through like 12 different versions Mm -hmm. of the definition or something like that. And these words are very similar to that. They have very many meanings, but that's that nuance of the word is, is thrown out the window because the goal is not to try and define something because as soon as you define it, you've limited it. Mm -hmm. And the goal is to like Corey was saying, Uh, berate people and control them and to, to seek domination over them and get them to uh, uh, serve the purpose of the ideologues, whether they, you know, realize it or not. Like Mm -hmm. if they, even if they don't realize that's what they're doing, that is in fact what they're doing. And that that's a problem because like you were saying, Corey, most people are just, you know, they just want to be good and decent people and when you have a, a, an ideologue who's manipulating language uh, to berate people into uh, serving this ideology, they will go along with that because this person speaks with, with such a moral fervor that it overwhelms the system of the, the individual who's being berated by all of these words and concepts that don't make any sense and they don't understand and you know they're not trying to explain it to them they're just you know trying to uh force them into this this conformist box and like you were saying before harrison like it just reading these people's responses as to what was going on in this particular situation i was reading about just
1: irked me yeah well i think i want i want to get into this in a bit more depth when we're talking about what's going on right now there are there is a, of course a charged climate to it and not only to these words but just in general and the thing is is that all if you look at even if you look at the commonly agreed upon definitions of the words that, that are being used practically no one disagrees with the main points or what appear on the surface to be the main points And I think this is an important point, is that a lot, if not most, of the people who, for example, get irked by SJWs, a lot of those people are just as, if not more than, I I would say often more more, um, offended, or offended isn't the, the best word, but are more affected by, that's not even... Even that was not a good enough word. They take seriously ideas like racism and sexism and, you know, et cetera. If there's an actual case of any of any kind of um, just injustice in the world, of course, most people have a, a visceral reaction to that and will be against it. But what happens is, what, what's essentially going on here is that you have an idea, th- an idea that everyone can get behind, like racism is bad. Practically everyone can get along with that. You're always going to have several um, real racists, but pretty much everyone can agree, for example, that racism is bad. But what you have going on is taking that broad category of moral virtue, which by now is just um, you know accepted. Um, an accepted societal norm that racism is bad. And what you essentially do is present it in such a way that you can't disagree with me. Because I am anti-racist. So if you disagree with me, that means you must be racist. That doesn't make any sense. Because I, I may, I'm not going to, when I disagree with you, I'm not disagreeing with you that racism is bad. I'm disagree I might be disagreeing for any for a whole uh, a whole number of other reasons. One that I don't agree with all of the things you associate that. Well it's the it's the idea of you know if you're given a list of a list of things that, that let's say it's a list of of statements that you have to agree with and if and at the end you have to sign them, right? You have to put your signature and say I agree with all the things on this list. And you agree with 9 out of 10 of them. Then by signing that, you would be inauthentic if you were to sign it, not agreeing with one of those things on the list. But if you don't sign the list, it's like the person giving that list saying, oh, well, that means you must disagree with these other nine things as well. No, I agree with those other nine things. It's just that one I disagree with. Well, no, you didn't sign the list. Therefore, you are A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You because you're a horrible person because you disagree. No, I don't. I, I don't disagree with any of those. No, <laughs> you didn't sign it. Like there, it doesn't make any sense. Now, on top of that, there is the specific content that it gets associated with these certain phrases, which isn't what mo- what most people think that those words should mean. So, racism no longer becomes discriminating against someone solely by virtue of their race or thinking that there is a superior superiority and a hierarchy of races like that is racism and historically that has been what racism is treating groups of people solely by the color of their skin or viewing a, a particular skin color and heritage as inherently greater and supreme you know over all others and others are s- somewhat subhuman that's what historical racism is about but that's not what People coming out of, like uh, liberal arts humanities with hu- liberal, liberal arts humanities degrees think that's not what racism is. Racism is what? What's the definition? Oppression for it?
2: minus. Uh, yeah, what's the thing? What is it? Oppression and lack of systemic power, or something like that. Well,
1: basically, it has nothing to do with actual skin color <laughs> or actual racism. They actually don't think racism is what racism actually is. They have a different definition for it. So when they call someone a racist, they don't mean that they're actually a racist the way ordinary people think or, or know what racism is. They're talking about something completely different. But because they're using the same word, they have all of the emotional content associated with the word racism. So, no, of course, no one wants to be a racist because most people aren't racists. But if you don't say what they want you to say, if you don't agree with what they want you to agree with, then you get s- smeared with that label even if you are one of the most hardcore anti-racists on the planet, even if you have actual convictions and actual values backing up your position on people and how to interact with people. So we're in this, it brings you to the point where you live in this bizarro world where actual non-racists, actual people who are against racism, get smeared with the label of Racist by people who say that they're that they're anti-racist, who are actually, it appears, racist because they do judge people by the color of their skin and they do think that some are superior and some are inferior, which is the definition of racism. But you can't point that out because if you do, then you have disagreed with the the word from on high, um, from the you know the the prof- the professors with uh, you, well, I, I won't be too insulting, but. The professors. I'll just leave it at that. So it puts well. That, go ahead. Well, yeah.
0: I mean, that's a. I was just going to um, to comment uh, a little bit on on that idea, um, and specifically, like you were discussing, Adam, the idea of institutional racism or systemic racism and the redefining of, of words. Um, you know, just classic nineteen eighty four. You know this idea that racism isn't racism as it has as it has been you know considered for the past hundred hundred and fifty i don't know how many years but um that it's actually something that's invisible that you you lower the bar so low that everyone everyone will trip over it everyone will trip over it, and you know this is an analogy. I believe I believe Brett Weinstein from Evergreen College uh, used. But then as soon as you do trip over it, they the penalties are as severe as if you were, you know, um a card-carrying Nazi, member of the Nazi party. So they lower the bar so that the most in small slight, you know, differences and inequality that exist and or that you know the slightest misstatement um, will be considered like you were a a, a card carrying member of, of the Nazi Party, and and, and the, unfortunately you know like like we we're pointing out this obviously has nothing to do with um, the attempt to improve race relations or to repair um, the a, a history of of inequality or anything about that. It's that it has nothing to do with that. And so a lot of people, you know, they they think that it does because they're still using the same words. But deep down, there's a there's a double speak happening so that, you know, these card carrying members of this of these parties can use these words and they know what they mean. They know what they're after. A lot of them know that this is about, you know, power the professors know it's about whatever, you know, what have they said for the past 60 years, destroying the family, um, you know, marching through the institutions, taking control from who this or that or men are evil or this is evil, that's evil. You know, it's it's just, it's all in service to a an anti-intellectual and anti-human, anti-life, really, ideology that that wants to restructure society for purposes that are still at this point. I mean, I think over the past couple of years, they've become a little bit more obvious so that a lot of people can see that, you know, the purposes behind this, this revolution, so to speak, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of flaring up here and there. They're not, obviously, they don't really have anything to do with their stated aims with the words that they use. So that's a big reason why it irks me to hear them, to hear other people use these words. People who stand to be the next in line, the the people who would be the victims, the people whose shops will get broken into, who will have bricks thrown through their shops, who will be shot in the street, who will be attacked and mugged because they're the wrong skin color by a mob of angry, angry social justice warriors who, you know, according to them, want to. Restore the world to a utopia, but, you know, if it means killing as many innocent people as possible, then, yeah, that doesn't matter. You know, that, that's what this is in service to. It's no, it has nothing to do with the stated aims. The words have been warped just unbelievably so that, you know, racism now is systemic racism, which means there's not actually any racists. Mm-hmm. There's not any racists. You don't need racists in a if it's systemic racism, you just you can't find the the actual racist people so that people can go and, you know, legitimately I'd be right along with them. You know, sign this petition to get this racist guy out of here, this racist person out of there. Everyone would be, you know, that that's the saddest thing and mm-hmm. the and really the the most unfortunate part about this is that there is a legitimate anti-racism instinct Mm in in the united states for sure because Mm -hmm. we have had such a horrible history and all of us has have been in the educational system we have been taught our history and we've and we've learned about the history of world war ii we know about the evils of that are that men are capable of and most people are willing to buck the trend in order to make sure that those kinds of things won't happen again Unfortunately, what they don't understand is that true evil is a lot smarter than that. Mm-hmm. You know, history does not repeat verbatim. True evil it knows what you think, and it will insinuate itself in a way so that you will think that it is good. And that what you'll think what you're doing is good. So that even as you're breaking and burning down cities, you'll think that you are fighting for racial equality.
1: mm mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to make the same point. <laughs> that is that if someone if someone approaches you with what seems like an obvious thing to which you would agree, should you agree with it? Now, people who kind of are naive or or uncritical by nature would probably just instinctively agree with them. So someone comes up to you on the street and says, "Would you agree with statement A?" And you just say, "Yeah, well, it's kind of it's a it's a dumb example Uh, to 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 limit it to limit it to just an encounter on the street." In the actual scenario, in the actual context in which this is happening, if some like um, an idea is in the world, um, it's traveling around. It seems obvious. It seems like something everyone should agree with. Well, should you agree with it? Well, I'm of the disposition to not agree with anything until I know that I'm agreeing with something I actually agree with. So if someone, if, if, if I do have that simple encounter with someone on the street, do you agree with this? Well, I want to know what they actually mean by it. I want to know why they want to know. I want to know a lot more than just, than just to agree with a certain statement when I don't know what they mean by what they're saying. But a lot of people when presented with something which seems obvious, just automatically give their assent to it because they assume that they agree with what the person is saying with no even suspicion that maybe that person has an ulterior motive. That maybe this is a manipulation. Maybe they're a con man. You know, maybe that is part of their con to get you to do something that they want you to do that, but that you wouldn't otherwise do if you didn't agree with them. Mm -hmm. It's this whole idea of a wolf in sheep's clothing that like you were saying that people will go along with things and will do things will even even engage in ex- in acts of the most extreme violence and we haven't seen even a like a small fraction of what is possible yet but people like we did the show on ordinary men ordinary people are capable of committing atrocities that sjw's like can't even imagine mm-hmm. uh, oppression the The extent of which they can't even imagine. And thinking that they're doing the right thing. Or not thinking one way or the other and just doing it because things have gotten to the point where they don't feel like they have a choice. They're just forced into it because everyone else is doing it. Or because everyone in a position of power above them is systemically creating this uh, (laughs) this situation where it's very hard to break out of it. So now we're in a situation where at least... It's difficult but at least people have the opportunity to not engage in certain behaviors. Think about how hard it would be or how hard it will be if things go keep going in a certain direction where it's not only social pressure that you're under but every kind of every kind of social pressure. It's not just pressure from um the fads and the you know the the influencers and um just what you see around you, but that there is a systemic, there is a system in place, an institution that forces you to behave in a certain way. Then there's, there's that, that limits the, the range of possibilities. It it limits the, the, the scope of choice that individuals have like almost, well, exponentially that, 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 um, sphere of choice gets so small to the point where you get an ordinary men type situation where there are very few people that will actually go against it at least now you can look back and say oh well i didn't do that and it was actually pretty easy because um it's not like i was being asked to you know murder women and children mm-hmm. it's like well it might not it might get to that point you know if you don't do something now mm-hmm. and that's what people do that's probably the most frustrating thing is that for anyone with an awareness of history and with the awareness that, like you said, Corey, history doesn't repeat itself identically, that this is the direction that those things go in. And it starts with all, every revolutionary movement, for instance, which, and revolutions are, revolutions and wars are the two things that are, well, just are the most destructive to societies and individuals and revolutions they happen like this and revolutions they always have a good cause they always have a or they always have a cause that people the people who engage in them agree is good and because they are good because they're doing the right thing they are then justified in murdering women and children so that's why i think that it's really unfortunate that you see when people disagree with revolutionaries for this reason, because they don't want to see mindless slaughter, they are the ones written off as evil and as being the Nazis. Not exclusively. Like It's not like everyone who agrees with or disagrees with revolutionaries thinks like that or, or does it for that reason. But the fact that there are individuals like that, and those individuals, like you were talking about the people that like the progress of history is based on the the martyrs and the people that actually sacrificed themselves in so many ways like uh up and up to and including their lives but their time their reputations their their family lives like the 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 the, the stuff that they've sacrificed it's those kind of people the the visionaries the people that see these kind of things that um that would and are today being written off as just plain evil for just the the most trivial reasons, not even reasons at all. It's just, and that, that, that in itself leads me to the conclusion that there is a hidden motive. There is, there is something else going on in what seems to the ordinary person to just be something innocent, something good and innocent when it's, it's nothing like that. Like there was this video on, mashable of this you know cute journalist joking about how to tear down statues right oh well, we're not saying to to tear down statues but wink wink if you were to do so here's how to do it safely it's like you know use use chains and not ropes and it's like blah 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 and giving giving the physics of it and the best way to do it and it's all with this uh with this um cutesy happy tone and this this like jingle jangle music in the background and that's kind of, I, I like. I was joking that that's kind of that's that's the face of of revolution today, and like the, the future totalitarianism, because that's essentially what that's the the trajectory of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And if people don't realize it, and it's it makes. Like I said before that we live in this bizarro world where well, it looks like it's just going to get even stranger, um, because the that's just the way thi- these things go. And I mean, if any of our, if this comes as a shock to any of our listeners, I'd recommend just maybe going and checking all the videos we've done on political ponderology and old episodes we did on the truth perspective about it, because I mean, that lays it all out how these things happen, Mm -hmm. how, um, and it's, and it's just sad, you know, it's sad for humanity. It's sad for all the people involved because the most of the people that go along with it have good hearts. You know, they. It's not like they. It's not like most people are evil. Most people aren't evil at evil at the roots. You know, in, at the the center of their being. But there are people like that. There are people who are pure evil. Um, and those tend to be the ones that that <coughs> nudge nudge the good-hearted people in the direction of their choice. And that's why I was that, that those are the con men. Those are the people that have mm-hmm. ulterior motives. They want you to get that want to get you to agree with something that they present that is, oh, it's just obvious, everyone should agree with that, for another reason. And that reason is, like you said, Corey, what it comes down to, ultimately, is power. People who don't have power who want power, and people people who shouldn't have power, individuals that shouldn't have power, are the ones that end up getting it. And it's not like... It's not, and it's, that's not, to stay, that's not to say, that the status quo is good or perfect or even good, you know, because there's evil people in positions of power already. It's, so when you, it, it's really, humanity is always in a, um, there's always a recipe for disaster in, in humanity, like, and it has been throughout all of history. Because there are always leaders that don't deserve to be, to be there. There are always people that are oppressed in one way or another or who have grievances, whether um, legitimate or not, who want to remove those people from power. And there are always six sons of bitches that are just waiting to get in and to be the new person on the top. And that's just the way, it's just the way humanity is. That's just the way life is. Um, unfortunately, those transitions tend to be very bloody, if you look at the French Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution, any of the big revolutions, chances are a lot of people died that shouldn't have died or didn't need to have died um, or that wouldn't have died um, without this process going on. So in the pro- And the, the the grand irony, of course, is that in the name of justice, and in this case social justice, and that's not a new word, in the name of that justice, you have just immense injustice that goes along with it. And... Because people aren't critical, because people... Because many people just innocently and naively adopt, even just adopt the language, the the fad get... get, get sucked in by the fad of the, the type of language that's going on, it contributes to... it contributes to that. It contrib- contributes to a mass movement that most people don't understand, that most people involved in the actual movement itself don't understand, but they're... but to... To a person that has at least, well, I could go esoteric. To a person with the eyes that can, see, with eyes that can see, Now, a person who's just read history and knows the dynamics of these kinds of things can see the way thing, that these things tend to go, and there are reasons for that, and there are uh, those are all laid out in Ponderology. But um,
2: well, that's a, an interesting point. I think talking about um, like the the way in which um, like the legitimate grievances get uh, warped and turned into a very minute uh, range of grievances um, that that's then used to create even more suffering when if you had actually expanded uh, the original grievance, uh, it would actually better address the actual legitimate grievances. So, you know, one thing I've been thinking about with the uh, black lives matter movement and some of the things that they talk about in terms of uh, racial police brutality it's like well okay there is um, you know uh, police uh, oppression or a lot of police violence against uh, against black people but there's also a lot of police oppression and and violence levied against people of other races as well mm-hmm. um, just because the the black community makes makes up a larger Portion of, like, percentage or per capita, you know, instances, like, doesn't mean that it doesn't exist for anyone else. And so by focusing only on the race issues, claiming that it is a race issue, which it's not, because it, it does apply to every other minority, and even, you know, whites, the, the majority, it applies to everyone. And so if they were, if they would just allow themselves to break out of their little box, and see that it's not just a race issue; that it's a, it's an oppression issue of um, the authorities trying to uh, manipulate everyone and control everyone. Then they could realize, oh, we can we w- that everybody would then be on the same page, mm-hmm. and everyone would be united against the the actual um, uh, correct or right. Um, Right, or wrong in society, so to say.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, to just play devil's advocate a little bit, even even accepting that there, that that there that there is or would be a racial motivation, then there's an insight to be drawn from guys like uh, Timothy Wilson in his book Redirect, and not, he's not the only one. But that solutions to obvious problems aren't obvious. That. If you if you think you know the right solution for a a policy problem or a social problem, and the the first one that comes to mind is is really the the, the obvious one, well, chances are that one is not going to work. You have to any kind of complex problem, it seems, based on well experience and and research, the that the solutions are are counterintuitive. Like he gave, I can't remember the example that uh, Wilson gave in his book, it's something like the the best way to, um, the most effective known way to um, prevent, I think it was teenage pregnancy, was volunteer work, something like that. I might be mixing up examples, but it was something along those lines, that to, to get teen pregnancy down, or whatever it was, some some other problem, you, uh, you approach it from a completely different angle. It seems completely unrelated, and that actually has the effect of of teen pregnancy, just handing out condoms in high school isn't going to work. In fact, it'll probably make things worse. That's the, and that's the thing. That's the other point to be drawn is that the obvious problems oftentimes make the problems worse. And this is the this is the story of government in general, is because governments are made of people who are mostly as average as everyone else, and not and as smart as everyone else, which is to say average. And so. They politicians are put in the position of having to ostensibly solve problems. But how are you going to solve a problem if your approach is to solve it in a way that has nothing to do with the problem itself? Seemingly, well, they're not going to get re elected, they're not going to get elected in the first place. To or to solve a problem, you have to have an obvious solution to that problem that makes sense to the minds of ordinary people. But because it doesn't work that way, what you get is a history of administrations and politicians and you know elected representatives who are constantly doing things that only make things worse that oftentimes make the 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 problem they're trying to address worse mm-hmm. so so that's why i say even even uh, let's just assume that everything assume everything is the way that the sjw say it is assume all the problems are exactly the way they say they are and everything that and everything is legitimate. All their statistics, all their points, all everything. Take that as a let's just take that as a given, <laughs> even though it's debatable. The solution to all those problems won't be the solutions they're presenting because they're presenting simple, obvious solutions that will only make things worse. That's the way the world works. Is that the solutions that you think are obvious make things worse? And the way to actually approach them is from us from the side. Like uh, it's almost cunning or sly the the way that problems actually get solved problems are like problems are like um you know a a predator in the wild you can't often just approach them head on you have to be sneaky like a predator is sneaky you have to sneak up on them and so to actually eliminate a problem you have to sneak up on it you have to approach it from an angle that it doesn't that it doesn't expect you to come at come at it from so well, that kind of I'll-
2: reminds me a bit of the what was it? It was a video of Morgan Freeman where he was
1: mm-hmm.
2: he was asked by an interviewer, you know, um <clears throat> what would you do, or how do you think we should, you know, deal with res- racism, or like how would you get rid of it? And he says, "Don't talk about it." Mm-hmm. Well, that's completely, you know, not at all what what the solution being presented is. The solution being presented is to. To shove it down people's throats yeah. that you know you're unconsciously racist all the time and that makes you a bad person mm-hmm. and for some reason these people don't understand like how that actually creates you know worse problems than it actually solves and more
1: racism
0: and more racism well that's because that's their entire business that's their industry they need it yeah they want to create it that's that's the only that's that's their claim to power is that the racism is everywhere and if it you know, if nobody's actually being it, then they well we'll just have to create it. Yeah. But I think that I just wanted to say one thing. I wanted to um I wanted to sneak up like a, a predator Harrison and uh, and say I I think they're just they have the craziest conspiracy theory that has ever existed. Mm. One of the craziest conspiracy theories that has ever existed. This this whole um everything that we've been talking about is just a very bad conspiracy theory. Yeah. That's yeah and they're you know it's like a cult Mm -hmm. it's just it's a straight-up cult deep down and yeah they have a crazy conspiracy theory about how the world is structured and they've sold a lot of people on it because you know like any theory yeah some of these things do this kind of fits here yeah there is police are sometimes they're they're bad yeah and you know life isn't perfect uh, and you know there's yeah it kind of explains some of these things but it's like um, it's like Thomas Sowell said in an interview, I think on the Hoover Institution, Is that right? Hoover Institute, maybe. Um, and he said why he was a, a Marxist when he was in his twenties, when he was going to college. He said because it's the only thing that explained what he saw in the world. He saw poverty. He saw he saw racism. He saw mm-hmm. power elites, you know, flaunting wealth and money while other people were starving in the streets. And, it, and that was the theory that, um, that, uh, that explained it for him. And so then the interviewer asked him, well, why did you abandon that theory? He said, when I learned the facts. Mm-hmm. Theor- it you know, doesn't matter how pretty the, or beautiful the theory is. If it doesn't explain the facts, then you got to get rid of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, bottom line.
1: What you said, Adam, reminded me of something. I can't remember the guy's name. He's a, a musician, um, a black musician, who there's a documentary about him because he what he has done for years is strike up conversations with members of the Klan. You remember that guy? I think we, yeah. we might have watched it together. I
2: re- yeah, I can't remember his name.
1: Unfortunately, I can't remember the name of the documentary either, but we watched it. And this guy, I mean, it's a it's a great documentary. And this this guy's just great too and it uh, what made me think about it is just the um well just the discussion of approaching things from the side and this and how how to actually and Morgan Freeman's comment is that it's not like this guy would um come up to guys from the clan and just tell them how horrible they are and how racist they are he would actually just try to co- start a conversation with them, knowing that they would be very resistant at first, and mo- a lot, most of them he didn't get through to, but he got through to several of them, and actually ended up, let's say, converting them out of their racism. And it's, it's counterintuitive, right? And, and watching the documentary, he, he, they show encounters with people who, who hate this guy for just talking to the guys in the clan when he's actually done more to actually deprogram people from their stupid beliefs than any of these guys that were protesting or hating him, hating him for doing it. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's approaching the problem from the side. It's one way of doing it is to actually have conversations with these guys to the point where I think it was at the end of the film, um, there's one guy in particular that uh, that basically left the clan after talking with um, with this guy, having basically becoming his friend. And by the end, you know, he's talking about the the really cute black girl down the street that he'd just love to go on a date with. And there's none of that going on right now. You know, there's no possibility of that in the framework in which things are happening. Of course, that can happen on an individual level, anywhere, at any time. But within the terms of the debate today, that is not possible, because you can't talk to uh, a fascist or a Nazi. Never mind the fact that that's probably the only way to actually defuse a real Nazi or a real fascist.
2: Well, that's something that... Um, I remember, I don't I don't think it was in the uh, the documentary, but it was in the TED Talk that he gave, where... In that little clip, he has the, the head of the KKK, like the national head of the KKK, and he was giving a speech somewhere. And you know this, this you know, black musician was sitting in the front row, and the head of the KKK said, I love that man more than I like most of you white people because he treats me with respect. And that's the thing, is he would approach everyone with respect, mm-hmm. and that is verboten. For these people uh in terms of how to how to talk to anyone who who questions anything that they have to say is they're subhuman they don't re- deserve respect, but that's the only way that you're gonna be able to talk to them on an individual human to human level mm-hmm. that would get them to change their mind yeah.
1: well i think I think we're gonna end it there. I wanted to get to Maybe as a close closing statement, I wanted to read a couple things from um, from Dabrowski about adjustment, positive and negative adjustment, and maladjustment, um, because we often get stuck in a you know a false binary. Either you are totally supportive of the status quo, or you are a kind of fanatic revolutionary that wants to tear things down. Or, um, well, it's one example. So that would be in, you're either adjusted to society, or you're maladjusted to society. Um, From the point of view of the adjusted, then the maladjusted are criminals. And from the point of view of the maladjusted, then the adjusted are just blind slaves. Well, maybe that's not the best word to use, but... uh, um, yeah, slaves to a system of oppression and um, and just everything that's wrong. But the picture is, reality is actually more nuanced than that. So that's why Dabrowski breaks it down into a positive and negative version of both. So I just wanted to read a couple of his definitions of, first of all, negative adjustment. Negative adjustment. Unqualified conformity to a hierarchy of values prevailing in a person's social environment. The values are accepted without an independent critical evaluation. It is an acceptance of an external system of values without autonomous choice. And that applies equally to a blind person accepting a status quo with all of its flaws and oppressions and repressions as it does to a member of a revolutionary social group who blindly accepts the values and the slogans of the people around them. What actually is required, well, if, if you have any integrity or any authenticity, is to form those values and those opinions for yourself, to judge each one, to compare each one, to see, to see what each one actually means. This is what I meant by earlier by saying if you're confronted with a, an obvious proposition to actually test it, to, to test everything. So, maybe one more little quote. Mm, no. No more quotes. We'll leave it at that. So, we'll see you next week. Everyone, I think we've probably bored you to tears with our discussion, but uh, hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time.